Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, if you'll turn to the book of Psalms this morning, I want you to go to Psalms 33, and we're going to read a few verses there and also a few verses in Psalms 35. And uh, this morning, uh, Thursday, I began a new series called The Rapture Ready Church. And uh, for the next few weeks, I'm going to be preaching on becoming a rapture ready church. How many know Jesus is coming soon? And, uh, and so while we wait for him to come, we will preoccupy while we wait for the return of the Lord. And how many know the scripture says that in the twinkling of an eye, that in a moment, that he shall return? And the scripture tells us that when he does, the dead in Christ shall rise, and we which remain shall meet him in the air. The Bible said that we shall be changed. We shall be given our new heavenly bodies. And when we look upon him, we see him, we shall be as he is. We all know that that day is coming. And we should prepare not only ourselves, but our world for the coming of the Lord. And so we need to be a rapture-ready church but also a church that breaks what I believe is the spirit of this age. We know that the spirit of Antichrist is already at work in this world. The mystery of the spirit of Antichrist is already working in the sons of disobedience, as the scripture says. We know that the spirit of Antichrist, but I believe that there is a spirit in this day uh, that represents something uh, that is, I believe, that is pulling this nation to it. But I believe a rapture-ready church will be able to break the spirit and what I call the spirit of Nimrod. The spirit of Nimrod is the spirit of rebellion. It is a spirit of rebellion and lawlessness. It is a spirit of confusion. It is a spirit that comes to confuse so that it may divide. It is a spirit that comes and it tries to break, bring such chaos that unity is almost seen as impossible. How many know we live in a day when the spirit of this age is trying to divide this nation and these wor- and the worlds of the earth? Even to the point to where the church itself is finding itself battling over certain things and that the spirit of division is trying to divide the church. The truth is, the principal thing is Christ Jesus. The principal thing is the blood of Jesus. And I know that theology is important, but I'm not going to lose my fellowship with someone because they have a different theological position on something that has nothing to do with my redemption. We need to build the unity of the body of Christ again, where we again are preaching Christ and preaching Jesus and salvation and the redemption of souls. We need to be a church. Blessing is important. Getting your blessing, getting your healing, getting all of those things are important. I understand there's promises of those in the scripture, but until the church gets back to preaching Jesus, Christ crucified, and the transformation that comes in Christ, there will will always be this spirit that was on Nimrod in his day, that tries to divide and separate and destroy. But I'm here to tell you that Christ can break the spirit of Nimrod in this hour. And so, a rapture-ready church. But I want to talk about Independence Day a little bit this morning, and I want to draw that into it, because we'll talk more about Nimrod and the spirit of this age and the things that are coming and, and rebellion and all of that. We know Nimrod was the grandson of one of the sons of Noah, uh, Ham. He was Ham's grandson. He was the son of Cush, who was Ham's son. His, uh, uh, his great-grandfather was Noah, and his great-great-grandfather, they believe, was Enoch, who was translated, who was the father of Noah's mother. And so... Uh, Nimrod was very familiar with God, very familiar with the things of God. But Ham and his actions, God cursed Ham and his actions and his generation. 
for an act that happened in the book of Genesis. We won't talk about it right now. But Nimrod came to the place to where he said that uh, he was going to build a city. He was the master. He was a, the Bible says that he became mighty in the earth. And it said that his desire was to build a great city. He built a great city. Then he said, the second thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to build a great tower to the heavens. And then he said, not only am I going to build a great city and a great tower to the heavens, he said also in the book of Genesis chapter 11 and verse 5, he said, I am going to make a great name for myself. And so God said, I want the nations to scatter. Nimrod said, no, I want the nations to gather. They were all of one language. He said, I'm going to build a great city. I'm going to do it. God's not going to do it. And we know he was the father of many great cities. Nimrod or uh, Nineveh was one of them. Babel was one of them. And he decided he was going to do things his way instead of God's way. He said, that's the spirit of this age. Nimrod knew who God was. He wasn't, he wasn't devoid of knowing who God was. He saw his uncle Shem worship God. He knew his great-grandfather or his grandfather worshiped God. He was familiar with this age. But yet he still decided he was going to do things his way. I'm telling you, America has a spirit of religion, but we do not know what it's like to be surrendered to the Savior. And we say we're going to do things our way instead of God's way. And so he built, he tried to build a great city. He built a tower to heaven. He even employed religion. He even employed religion. I'm going to build a tower to the heavens. Something to be worshipped. He even made a religion out of it. He said, I'm going to build a great name. God said, no. I, he lists in Genesis 10 the table of, of nations. God birthed nations in Genesis chapter 10. Nations were born. Nations were born to be scattered throughout the earth. And Nimrod said, no, they're not going to scatter. I'm gathering them. I'm not going to do it. Your, we're not going to do it your way, God. We're going to do it our way. And so he gathered them. And what did God do? The Bible said God came down. And God said, well, it's time. They're not going to do it our way. But I guess I'm going to have to come down and do it my way. And the Bible said God came down. And he said, and God visited and said that he scattered and confused their language. And when he confused their language, they could not understand one another. <laughs> God brought, what did he do? He allowed confusion. He allowed chaos. He allowed all these things. Why? So that God could get what he wanted to get because you can either do it God's way or you can do it in a way where God will do it the way he wants to do it. Either way, God's going to do it his way. And what happened? The Bible said they were scattered throughout the world. That's what God wanted anyway. So God ended up getting what he wanted. And how many know God will get what he wants? When there's the spirit of rebellion that's presiding in a people or a nation, God will bring confusion. Hear me? God will put that nation in a place of confusion. God will put that nation in a place of chaos. Why? What is he doing? It's not that God has forsaken a nation. It's that God is trying to get a nation's attention to turn back to him. And I'm telling you all that we're seeing, all that's going on, all the craziness, all the wildness that's happening, all the lawlessness, the craziness that's going on. Hey, I don't look at it as something as if God's going to bring some judgment of fire and kill us all. No, I believe it's God's way of doing it the way God wants to do it. He's going to build a nation back to him whether we want it or not. All he's waiting for is the manifestation of the sons of God to stand up and arise. And sometimes through confusion and chaos, Sometimes it'll take those that will say, hey, enough is enough. We're going to take back what God has given us. How many know it's time to start taking some things back as a church? <laughs> I don't know if you're convinced or not. 
But I'm here to tell you, we better start taking some things back. And so that's the spirit of Nimrod. We're going to break that spirit. We're going to be a rapture-ready church. We're going to be a church on mission. We're going to be a church that is competent. But what has amazed me over the years is the misinformation that has allowed to be leaked through about our nation. The lies that have been told about the founding of our nation. It's unbelievable to me. As I was doing research the last couple of weeks and preparing for this day, I'm un, I've been unbelievably shocked at what people will say that is an absolute lie in order to be right. To prove. They will go to great lengths to prove God had nothing to do with the start of this nation. I'm here to tell you that God had everything to do with the start of this nation. And Independence Day was not only a picture of the independence of a nation, but it was a prophetic picture of God's deliverance for a people, just like he delivered the children of Israel, just like he sent his son Jesus to die, that we could be redemptive. God took the principles of godliness and interwoven them for the first time outside of Israel into a nation. It doesn't make us a better nation than anybody else. It's just that we had people that were willing to listen and hear the voice of God and be obedient to God. If you'll turn to the book of Psalms 23 or 33, I want to read a few verses of Scripture, and I'm going to read these verses, and then you will know why I read this psalm in a few minutes. But Psalm 33, beginning in verse 8, I'm going to read that, and I want you to listen to these words. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it all stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. And he makes the plans of the people of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. Listen, how many know the counsel of the Lord stands forever? Whoo! It said the Lord can counsel the nations to nothing. He's the one that makes nations rise and make nations fall. He's the one that puts kings in power and sets them on thrones and authorities in this world. That's why we should never be discouraged by an election. Because we know that an election, when an election happens, we know for some reason out of God's providential hand, God allows kings to rise and kings to fall. Verse 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. In other words, God will fulfill promises to each and every generation. Verse 12, blessed, blessed, I think we sang that just a minute ago. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people he has chosen as his own inheritance. Blessed, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. Look over real quickly to Psalms 35, and beginning in verse 4. It said, let those be put to shame and brought to dishonor who seek after my life. Let those be turned back and brought to confusion who plot my hurts. How <laughs> I many know the Lord is the avenger of his people? How I many know when the world plots against us, when the world plots against you, when the world plots against the church, let those be turned back and be brought to confusion. How I many know, just like he did at the Tower of Babel, the enemies of the people of God will be brought to confusion. Let them be like chaff before the wind. Let the angel of the Lord chase them. Let their way be dark and slippery, and let the angel of the Lord pursue them. For without cause they have hidden their nets for me in the pit which they have dug without cause for my life. Let destructions come upon them unexpectedly, and let his net that he has hidden catch himself into that very destructive, let him fall. In other words, David said, God, the very nets that he cast out for the people he is uh, trying to, to overcome, let he himself be caught in his own nets. How many know the devil's going to be caught in his own nets? God's going to turn it around just like he did Haman and the very gallows that Haman built for the people of God. God turned around and hung Haman on those very same gallows. 
I'm telling you, the enemies of God and the enemies of God in this nation are plotting and planning to destroy every bit of Christianity in this nation. But I'm here to tell you they're only building their own gallows. They're only casting nets that they themselves are going to be caught in. It's going to turn around on top of them. Why? Because God protects those whom he loves and he's a defender of his people. Hallelujah. And don't think they're not scheming. And don't think they're not planning. And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. For it shall rejoice in his salvation. All my bones shall say, Lord, who is like you? Delivering the poor from him who is strong for him. Yes, the poor and the needy from him who tries to plunder him. I'm telling you, God loves to defend the innocent. And so as we read those passages of Scripture, blessed is the nation, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. You know, I was shocked this week. I saw on TV they were doing these interviews uh, of these people, and they were asking them, what does Independence Day mean to you? And this one guy was like, yeah, it was a day when, like, Abraham Lincoln went and killed those guys down in the south, and uh, we all got free. And then they asked another lady, and she said, wasn't it like in 1964 when President Kennedy said, uh, don't ask what your nation can do for you, but what you can do for your nation? I mean, that's, they say that's why we're celebrating Independence Day. <laughs> Seven out of ten People between the age of 40 and under had no idea why we celebrate Independence Day. I was absolutely blown away. I could not believe it. And it was amazing. And they were making light of it and making fun of it. I didn't think it was funny at all. How in the world do you have a generation? How in the world is my generation? How in the world do you have a generation that has no idea why we celebrate the 4th of July? I'm telling you, it's more about hot dogs and ham. It's not just hot dogs, hamburger, right? There's more to it than that. I was just amazed. You know, we're celebrating 244 years as a nation. 244 years. Did you know that the average length of a government or a doctor or a, a document like the Declaration of Independence and other nations, the average time a nation is able to hold a document is the average of 17 years, and we are celebrating 244 years under the same Constitution. When you say we're blessed, huh? That is unusual for a nation. And there's lots of info out there about our founding fathers and the history of our founding fathers. Now, when you look at history and you look at the men of history and you go back into history, you always have to preface it with the foundation that all men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Is that not true? All men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How many know we have faults in our generation? How many know there's things in our generation that, that we need to repent of? So every generation has flaws. Every generation has difficulties. We must understand all men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Let me tell you what the spirit of Darwinism does. And the spirit of Darwinism says this, and it's not just about animals, the progression of animals. But the spirit of Darwinism says is that, that men get better as they, get, as they progress. Men get smarter. Men get wiser. Well, the truth is, we don't get any wiser than anybody else. Because sin nature is a sin nature, and man can't get rid of his sin nature. The very things that we battle with today is the very things they battled with 200 years ago. It's just in a different form. We may be more comfortable because we have air conditioning and fried chicken out of a, 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 I don't know why that came up, but we have conveniences of this world. But the point is this, is that, is, that, is that man does not progress. All men have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. So in other words, we're told that only the future is what matters. What's in the past is irrelevant. 
So the spirit of Darwin tells our children in school that the past don't matter, that all you have to worry about is progressing to to what's forward, never looking back. I told him on Thursday night, Isaac, the Bible said, Isaac was blessed and he went into the land and what did he do? He sought out to dig the wells of Abraham, his father. Why? Because he knew that there were wells there and that he could go back a generation and begin to drink water out of the wells that a previous generation had dug and built. How many know it's good to go back in our nation's history and begin to to rely on the resources that were paved back then? How many know it's good to start redigging some wells of the past? How many know it's good to reach back in the past and get some examples of godliness and holiness and purity and bring them forward to this generation? Why? Because they're just as relevant then as they are today. And I believe there's a lot of things in the past we can learn from, we can pull in to this generation. And so when we think about our generation of history, we break down our forefathers. Some of our forefathers were guys that were extremely godly. They were like the Apostle Paul. I mean, there was a passion, ministry, and some of them. Some of them were like David. They had great giftings in their life, but they had made decisions and made mistakes in their life, and they may not have been proud of them, but they still loved God, and they still loved their country. There were some like Samson that was reckless in their flesh, but yet they still were used by God, and they still loved their nation, and they still did good things for godly people. So when you look at our forefathers, they're they're a collection of men that had one thing in common, the fact that they had a recognition of God, but yet they were all individually, they were all individuals, and they were our founding fathers. One of the things that I noticed is that when they first convened in 1774 in September in Philadelphia, it was the first time that they got together. Thirteen states and colonies come together, and they didn't really like each other. Matter of fact, when you live under a, a tyrannical rule or a king, these states became competitors, and they really didn't like each other. So, so they, and they really had not met each other or known each other. The leaderships had never come together. So when they convened in September of 1774, they, they had never met, they never talked, but they gathered together, and they began to gather together to talk about how are they going to handle uh, what is happening in, a, in the nation. And so those from Massachusetts didn't know those from Georgia, those from Virginia did not know those from North Carolina. Carolina, and so they started, they began the session when they came together, the first part of the session, and uh, now listen, everything that I'm telling you this morning is documented. It is written documentation. I read it. I looked it up. I saw some of the actual documents myself. So I'm not just trying to throw some type of revision of history to get you excited about being American. I'm telling you what happened in America. It's not what you've been told. It's not what you've been being taught. So when they convened in 1774, John Adams wrote his wife, Abigail. He told her, he said, when we began to convene, we first began with a two-hour prayer meeting. Two hours they laid on the floor in the in Philadelphia, and they laid on the floor, and they prayed to God. They got up, and they had a Bible study And they went through the scripture. They studied four chapters of the scripture the very first time they met. They studied Psalms 33, 34, 35, and 36. John Adams writes his wife Abigail, and he tells her of these events. This is documented. This is history. He said, Abigail, we prayed. We prayed for two hours. And we studied the scripture, four chapters of the scriptures of Psalms. And he said, as though we were reading the scripture when we read Psalms 35, it was though God was speaking to us individually, and all of a sudden, collectively, we knew exactly what to do. He said, take this document, take the scripture, and tell your friends, tell your father, tell all that you know. And we feel that God 
is speaking to us about conquering Great Britain. And he said when they got up and they were finished, the first thing they did, listen, y'all, listen. The first thing they did was call a fast. It was the first of 15 fasts that were called during the time of the revolution, during the the Continental Congress. They called 15 fasts. The first fast they called, it was a fast of humility and prayer. This is all recorded. It was a fast. They they fasted a specific time for four months. And when they came back together after four months, they had seen that God had done such a miraculous work. They had listed their prayer requests, and God had worked in such a way. John Adams stood up and said, we need to, to delegate a day of remembrance, a day of thanksgiving. A day that we thank God that he hears our prayers, that he is working, that we hear that he is working. They rejoiced over the fact, of course, of four months they saw God begin to answer prayers for them that they fasted and prayed about. By the time 1815 came, there were 1,400 calls by our government for times of fasting and prayer. 1,400 proclamations of fasting and prayer by 1815. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? One of the workers of the Constitution, John Hancock, he was the governor of Massachusetts. He signed the Declaration of Independence. When he returned back to Massachusetts, he issued a proclamation of prayer. That prayer is actually, it is a document that they have today. He instituted a a declaration of prayer in which he did 22 times in the next three years. And this is what he said in that document, the first uh, document of prayer that he proclaimed. He said, this is what we need to pray for. Pray that the kingdom of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, may be established in peace and righteousness among all the nations of the earth. All the nations. That they may bow down to the scepter of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that the whole earth may be filled with his glory. That the spiritual kingdom of our Lord may continually increase until the whole earth feels his glory and is full of the Holy Ghost. Now he was the governor. He was a governor. Could you imagine a governor doing that today? No, here's a big kicker. Could you imagine a Massachusetts governor doing that today? That was his prayer proclamation. He did it 22 times while he was in the Continental Congress, 22 times. John Adams writes, he writes later and he says, God is answering our prayer. We have conquered a fort that belonged to the British by Colonel John, by, by Colonel Smith. It wasn't John Smith, Colonel Smith had conquered a fort for us. He was a colonel. They were rejoicing, they were trying to gather an army. They had conquered a British fort that they were able to, to, to conquer, and Colonel Smith did it. Now listen, here's how, here's how the Continental Army went. You were, you were asked to enlist into the Continental Army, but if you could get 20 people to sign on and become a soldier, you automatically became a colonel in the U.S. Army. That's how you became a colonel. So the Bible says, or Bible, so the document, John Adams says, Colonel Smith has taken a fort. He's a colonel because he probably got 20 farmers, sharecroppers, teachers, neighbors to to fight with him to take over a fort. In other words, it wasn't an army that was fighting. It was everyday people, neighbors that took up arms, that took guns off of the gun rack over the fireplace and came together. They were teachers. They were farmers. They were sharecroppers. They were good old everyday people that said, it's time we experience freedom in this nation. John Adams recognized all that they did. He recognized everything that they had did. Wow. Matter of fact, it wasn't long they captured their first warship. Yep, the Continental Army had a navy, a navy to fight the greatest navy on the face of the earth and the greatest army at that time on the face of the earth. Nobody could stand up 
to the great British army. Let me show you what their first warship was. The ship that they conquered. Show them a picture of the first warship. You can see this if you go to Smithsonian up on the, no, well, there it is. That's, their, that's the actual warship they had. It had a cannon on the front and a cannon on the side. If you go to Smithsonian on the third floor, you can see it. It's there. It's preserved there. That was their first navy. And guess what flag they flown right over top of that ship? Right here. This was the Continental Army naval flag. It was designed by George Washington. And the first time it flew was over that ship as it sailed. And it says, we make an appeal to heaven. Is that crazy? John Adams wrote, George Washington wrote to Thomas Nielsen after the war. He said, the hand of God and his provision has been so conspicuous that all that he has done, you would have to be the worst of infidels to not have faith, and you would be more than worse than wicked to not acknowledge God's hand And our obligation should be to God with great gratitude. In other words, Washington said, how in the world could we not be grateful? That our obligation is to be grateful as a nation. You would have to be wicked or to be hard-hearted or to be an infidel in order to not recognize God's hand in the making of our nation. Washington went on to say there are battles we won we should not have won. There were protection we had we should not have had. Had it not been the providential grace of God that was over us, we would not be a nation today. That sounds like atheists to me, doesn't it? Sounds like a bunch of deists to me, doesn't it, you? After the battle of Yorktown in 1781 and the revolution was over, the end of the war, the British laid down their arms and at the, there was a few skirmishes after that, but after the war had ended, 150 years earlier, Britain had, of course, uh, uh, became uh, over America. 150 years earlier, there was a national religion. In other words, there was a proclamation that the colonies of America had to serve King George or whoever was king. And whatever religion well, the king had is the religion that you had. So if he was an Anglin, you were an Anglin. If he was a Catholic, you were Catholic. In other words, if you were whatever the king was, you were. But in 1771, when they wrote the peace treaty to set up a nation with Britain, and they finally wrote that document immediately after the Continental Congress voted that they would print a Bible in English for the American people. And the Bible was printed 11 months later in September of 1782, and the Bible is called the Bible of the American Revolution. There were 8,000 of those that were printed. There are eight left in private hands today. You know who printed it? A man by the name of Robert Atkin. He was the official printer of the Continental Congress. Inside it, inside the Bible, was a stamp that said, this Bible has been issued under the Continental Committee, or Continental Congress Committee, of men who gather together, this Bible has been issued to the American people from the Continental Congress. Also in it was a list of the Continental chaplains, William, William White and George Duffield, who affirmed that the Scripture and that the Bible was written correctly and that the words and the theology in it was that which was adherent to Scripture. The Congress presented these Bibles, and the reason why they printed these Bibles is because Robert Atkin was the father of Christian education in America. They were distributed to every school that was in America at the time. Whew. Bet you never heard that in history class. The first Bible printed in America in America was endorsed by Congress for the use to be used in schools. In 1783, as we became independent of a nation, there was the article of treaty that was signed. It was signed by John Jay, Benjamin Franklin, and John Adams. It was a treaty with Britain that they would not attack us anymore. At the top of the treaty, you can see this, it's in the State Department on the third floor of the State Department in Washington, D.C. It's a treaty with Britain, and it says this. It says, this treaty has been written in the name of the holy and most high undivided trinity of heaven. 
That was the title of the dark document. John Adams said it like this. I would think that's Christian, wouldn't you? John Adams said this, the general principles on which the fathers, on which the fathers, uh, can't read my own writing, on which the fathers, for the fathers who wrote the Declaration of Independence, that the general principles that are met in this document were principles of Christianity. Matter of fact, 20 principles in the doc- Declaration of Independence came out of principles that the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence came out of sermons that they heard the last 20 years in America and became principal messages of the gospel for 20 years. There are 20 principles in the Declaration of Independence that came out of the preaching 20 years before the Revolution. Didn't hear that in history class. But the truth is, in this hour, recently, there's been articles wrote. The LA Times wrote an article that said the American that the uh, American founding fathers was unchristian. Despite the right and its attempts to push that the Christian fathers, forefathers were Christian, the truth is they were deists and they rejected the divinity of Jesus. That was an article that was found. In other words, these professors and writers began to say that our founding fathers were not Christian. In other words, John Adams says, just what I read to you, that the whole document was based upon Christian principles that were found, but yet here we have these that are academia and professors who say it wasn't. I think I believe somebody who was an eyewitness to something than I would somebody that would have a theory or a thought about something. How many know John Adams was there? He was an eyewitness. I mean, no, I'll take the words of an eyewitness over that with someone who just philosophizes anytime. I mean, no, the Bible says that we are witnesses for Christ. Why are we witnesses for Christ? Because we're eyewitnesses of the deliverance of God in our own life. How do we overcome the land? How do we overcome the devil? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. What is our testimony? It's eyewitness change of our life. How many are thankful that you witnessed the change in your life that Jesus did inside of you? And people say, well, it's not real, preacher. It's not real. You're you're just following some type of crutch. I'm telling you it's real. I'm not the same guy I was 35 years ago. Hallelujah. How many are thankful you're not what you were before you found Christ? Before you found Jesus? He was an eyewitness. (laughs) It's funny, a great theologian went to Duke University, born-again Christian. If I said his name, you'd know him. He went to Duke University, gave a presentation on the Founding Fathers. He put a picture of the Founding Fathers up, put that picture up of the Founding Fathers. He asked all of these law students and theological students at the university, at Duke University, and he said, how many of you can name our Founding Fathers? Matter of fact, how many of you can look at that picture and name the Founding Fathers? How many of you could pull out who's there and how many are there? I'll just be honest with you. I got five. That's all I got. Duke University, of all the students that were there, in there they pulled out two. They pulled out Thomas Jefferson and they pulled out John Adams. Or uh, 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 Thomas Jefferson and uh, Ben Franklin. They did not know who the rest of them were. Isn't it amazing that the ones that they picked out were the only ones who were the least religious out of all the signers of the Declaration of Independence? Isn't it funny that they picked the two guys that were deists? Matter of fact, Jefferson wrote his own Bible. He took out the miracles of Jesus. It's called the Jefferson Bible. Franklin, he was, he was, a, he was a deist, but he also gave in to the Enlightenment. He spent much time in France. He, he, he read a lot of writings of, of uh, Voltaire and Rousseau. He was big fans of them. But they both, even though they were deists, they recognized the providential hand of God over their life. But I want to tell you, most people don't know, those who are against Christianity, the only people they quote as the founding fathers is Thomas Jefferson and John Adams. You know why that is? Because that's all they want you to know. That's all they care for you to know and to understand that that's the only two that they want you to know. 
In other words, of 29 of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence, 29 of them graduated from seminary or were ministers of the gospel. Isn't that something? And there are men that you never learned about or talked about or heard about. Men like John Witherspoon. You know who he was? John Witherspoon was the president of Princeton University. He was the, he was the president of Princeton University. He was one of the great evangelists of, the, of his day. There were over dozens and dozens of volumes of sermons that he preached. He was the Billy Graham of his day. In 1791, he... he uh, uh, he, he printed the first family Bible. He printed the first family Bible. This is what he said. I entreat you in the most earnest manner to believe in Jesus Christ, for there is no salvation in any other if you are not clothed with the spotless robe of righteousness, you must forever perish. Sounds like an atheist to me, doesn't it you? Some of you have never heard of a man named Benjamin Rush. The founding father said there are three most notable men out of all the Continental Congress. Ben Franklin said there, there are three. Or John Adams said there are three. George Washington, Ben Franklin, and Benjamin Rush. You know who Benjamin Rush was? Anybody know? Benjamin Rush started the public school system under the Constitution. He founded five universities. Three are still working today. He, was a, he, was, he started a civil rights movement against all the oppression of King George. He started the first abolitionist society in America. He led the national abolition, abolitionist movement in America. He helped, he helped start the first black denomination in America. Matter of fact, he trained black physicians for many years, and he was one of the most famous doctors in American history. Benjamin Rush founded the Sunday School Movement in America, and he, and he led the first Bible society. In other words, he was the first one to produce the Bible in mass volume. In other words, he said two, he had two, he had two missions. One was, he said, if we could get a Bible in the hand of every American who would read the Bible, they would come to Jesus. Number two, all of our social problems will be solved. In other words, it'll solve crime, it'll solve slavery, it'll solve the injustices of our nation. He said this, many only hope of salvation in its infinite trans transcending love of God may it be manifested to the world by the death of his son upon the cross. Nothing but his blood will wash away my sin. I rely exclusively upon the Lord Jesus. Lord, come quickly. Lord, come quickly. That is what he spoke about in the Continental Congress in 1775. In other words, he was the first man. He started the first black denomination. He was the first man that came to abolitionists. Guess what happened last week? Guess what happened? They pulled his statue down. You know what that tells me? People don't know their history. People don't know their history. We've been sold a bunch of lies in America, and it keeps increasing and increasing, and we keep buying it. Why? Because we are illiterate when it comes to our history. And because we are illiterate when it comes to our history, we don't have any fight in us because we don't know who we are and what we believe. But I'm here to tell you, the truth will set us free. If we'll learn who we are, we will fight for the future. Now, I know this is boring to some of you. But I'm just telling you, it's missing. All we hear about is our founding fathers was this, and they owned slaves, and they did. That's right, they did. But remember, all men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And they had faults just like us. You never heard of a man named Roger Sherman. He was the only founding father that signed all four documents. He was the framer of the Bill of Rights. He was a th theologian. He wrote the doctrinal creed for his denomination in Connecticut. He said this, God calls all men everywhere to repent. He also commanded them to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and has assured us that all who do repent and believe shall be saved. 
God has promised to bestow eternal blessings on us all. Those who are willing to accept are, 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 are the terms of the gospel, we may, be, we may experience the freedom of grace through his atonement. In other words, Sherman was someone who also would get up in the Continental Congress. Matter of fact, he was a man, the newspaper said this about, the Boston Globe wrote this about him. He, say, he said that he, is, he was a man that, that everything he spoke came from the volumes of the Word of God. In the Boston Globe, they wrote an article about when he would commence the Continental Congress. He was in Congress for over 17 years. When he would come to Congress, he'd bring a brand new Bible with him. Because in those days, you know where we get the reading through the Bible in a year? Because Colonial America would read the Bible through a year, in a year. All colonials would sit, most of them that were born again, would sit and read through the Bible in a year. Every year he would bring a brand new Bible to Continental Congress and he would read through that Bible throughout that year. He would he'd take notes and write in the margins and he would write things that God had spoken to him and when he would return home, he would take that Bible and he would give it to one of his children. He'd go back to Congress, he'd get another one and he'd write in it, he'd read it, he'd read it through a year and he'd go back home and give it to his children. He had 15 children, every one of them got a Bible from the years that he spent in the Continental Congress. Isn't that amazing? He had 15 kids. Huh. I don't know if I'm more amazed that he read the Bible in a year or the fact that he had 15 kids. How many of you would have loved the father that you knew read the word of God every day? That every year when he finished the word of God, he would hand it to you and in it would be his personal notes of what the Holy Spirit has spoke through him throughout the year. How many know that's heritage? That don't sound like a deist to me. Don't sound like an atheist to me. Hmm. I know, I'm going close. I'm getting close here. Some of you may not know a man by the name of John Carroll. He was the final surviving member of the Declaration of Independence. He died at 95 years old. The average age in those days were 33 years. Someone asked him in his later years, are and asked him, said, Charles, are you ready to meet the Lord? He got up in a public gathering on one of the anniversaries of the Declaration of Independence. He was 80-something years old, and this is what he wrote. I want you to know that on the mercy of my Redeemer, whew, I rely. On the mercy of my Redeemer, I, lie, I rely on for my salvation. And it's his merit, not all the works that I have done in obedience to his precepts. I am ready to meet the God who is my creator. In other words, he just preached Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. If we, are, no, we are not saved by works, but through faith in Christ. In other words, all this recognition, he said, of being a founder and a, and a, a signer of the declaration, all these works that I've done, I've done only out of obedience to Christ. It's not earned me my right into heaven. The only thing that's earned me my right into heaven is the mercy of God and the atonement of the blood of Jesus that has set me free. How many know it's not what you do on this earth and the works that you do? We're called to be obedient. But I'm telling you, you must be born again this morning. You must know Christ as your Savior. <laughs> and it's funny, he became, the day he became the oldest living member of the Continental Congress was the day that John Adams and Thomas Jefferson died on the same day, July 4th, 1926. Isn't that amazing? Or 1826. July 4th, 1826, they died on the same day. Matter of fact, when Carroll was in his, almost in his 90s, the state of New York came to him and they had an original copy of the Declaration of Independence. And they said to Carroll, they said, before you die, would you write out your thoughts on America over these years. It's been 70 years or so since the Declaration of Independence. Would you write out your thoughts over these years on the path that America has taken? Would you write them out? The state of New York brought them to him. He wrote this on that declaration. He said, I am grateful to Almighty God for the blessings in which he has bestowed on me through the redemption of Jesus Christ our Lord. He has conferred on my beloved country 
And I can't thank God enough for all he has done for America. You know where that document sits? Today it sits, it sits in City Hall in New York City. In other words, when Mayor Blasio walks into office every day, he walks by that Declaration of Independence And the last living forefather wrote on it and said, We are America because the mercy of God kept us and shined upon us. I am grateful for all that God has done for me. Every day he walks by that document. I'm telling you, him and the governor can stand up and say God had nothing to do with the healing of the pandemic in New York, but I beg to differ with you, sir. God has everything to do with everything that is a part of America. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Woo. Hallelujah. Pastor Adam, if you come. How do, these, how do people get away with distorting American history today? It's because we have become ignorant and confused about the truth of America. Evident in the interviews that was done that I mentioned at the beginning of this service. Whew. Of the 56 signers of the Declaration... Ten of them never lived to see the end of the revolution. Matter of fact, what you don't know, 17 of the wives of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence ended up in prison for their faith while their husbands were at war. One of the most famous was a gal by the name of Elizabeth Lewis who died in prison by the abuse of British Army because she refused to denounce the birth of America and refused to bow to the King of England. John Adams, when he talks about that day in his memoirs and all that happened, he wrote to his wife, Abigail, and he said this. He said, Abigail, I believe that what we did by by orchestrating the Declaration of Independence today, that I believe that I've been a part of something this day that will be celebrated and succeeded by generations as the great anniversary festival continues. In other words, He saw down the line and said, I truly believe that what we did today is something that will be celebrated generation after generation. In other words, they were writing documents for the future. They weren't writing documents for just themselves. They were writing documents because they were looking forward to a generation that needed a deliverance. Matter of fact, John Quincy Adams, 62 years later, As he got up and gave a speech that he equated the 4th of July and Christmas as the two most important holidays in America. Now think about that. I mean, if I asked you what was the two most important religious holidays in America, you would probably say Easter and you'd probably say Christmas. But the reason why he said 4th of July because the 4th of July was the birth of a nation, they equated it with the coming of Christ and Christmas, the principles of God coming to the earth. God himself showing up on the earth. John Adams said in this speech he did, 62 years later, he said, God brought Jesus who brought the principles of heaven into this earth and Jesus Christ afforded us the abilities to take those principles and to put them into a nation. He said, as this day forward we should be a nation That every 4th of July, we should do acts of devotion to God. Just as we do on Christmas. In other words, it's a spiritual thing as well as it is a natural thing. I just have to tell you, I don't think I could disagree with them. I believe it is spiritual. Fellas, if you come, I'd like you to bring the communion emblems and pass each communion emblem out. We got a couple of minutes. We're going to take communion together this morning on this 4th of July. And as these men come, they're going to pass these individual communion emblems to you. 
so that you don't have to, they don't have to touch and you don't have to touch what they're touching. Just take the emblem, the cup, the, the wafer is on top, and then the, the communion juice is below. If you will open that up. Jesus, Jesus. We need to start talking more about our nation. We need to start talking more about our founding fathers. And we need to bring a priority back to the reading of the Word of God in our country and our nation. I don't know if you know who David Barton is. David Barton is an apologist. He's, he's an amazing man. He's done some incredible. He owns, more, he owns more American artifacts than most museums. He has 102,000 American authenticated artifacts, documents. He has over 100,000 documents, some of these that I've mentioned today. He has 100,000 documents. He has 2,000 artifacts from the American Revolution. He has a book that talks about the miracles, the miracles of God during the Revolution. He talks about 24 miracles that happened during the Revolutionary War. Miracles that cannot be explained. Washington being shot several times but never injured. He talks about crossing the Delaware and a great fall came and was across the Delaware and just as Washington began to set out, the fog lifted. They were able to cross over, and soon as they landed back on the other side of the Delaware, as they marched towards Trenton, the fog returned. As though God provided incredible miracles. Only heaven could tell what God has done for the birth of this nation. But the truth is, we need to find out really where we came. Your kids need to know their heritage. They need to know the truth of their heritage. But I believe the spirit of Nimrod is trying to rob and steal what this nation has. Been, has. But we're not going to let him do it. And as we talk about a rapture-ready church and we talk about breaking the spirit of Nimrod, I'm going to deal with four things in the next couple of weeks. Next Sunday, I'm going to preach on racism. Listen to me. I'm going to preach on racism. And I'm going to tell it like it is. And when I stand before you next Sunday, I'm not a white preacher. I'm going to stand representing the kingdom of God. And we're going to lay some truth out. And we're going to talk about it as a church. We're going to talk about it as God's people. Because everybody's avoiding it. Everybody's running from it. But if you're going to break the spirit of Nimrod in this nation, you've got to be truthful about it. We're going to talk about it. I saw it. I was in the middle of it. When I was in third grade, my mother who's watching will tell you, they, we were segregated into a white school, 11 district school, and all of a sudden they, they, they brought us down and they brought me to a black school where I spent the next four years in elementary school in a predominantly 80% black school. And I remember, I remember those in the neighborhood that I stayed, they tried to fight it, they tried to fight it, they tried to fight it, but I'm telling you the best thing ever happened to me was God allowed me to go to that black school. I got some of my best friends today are still my best friends. God taught me something. Sean King, the head of Black Lives Matter, said that he wants everybody to go and tear down every religious symbol in America because every symbol in America that represents Jesus is white supremacy. Let me tell you, Jesus didn't die for a race. Jesus died for a people. There are only four races on the face of the earth. Three of them, you can't even say the name of them. But there's 2,450 ethnicities. And everybody wants to call an ethnicity a race. But I'm here to tell you that God created every race. God created mankind. And he said in the book of Galatians, it's neither Greek nor Jew, nor barbarian. 
But I'm here to tell you the blood of Jesus died for all mankind. And I know, I know there are racist, racial prejudices because we have some of them. But the truth is, we need to understand what it's really about. I'll tell you what it's about. It's about confusion. To bring chaos into a city and divide a nation. But I'm here as a pastor in a predominantly white church calling this white church to reach out to every tribe, every tongue, every nation, and every ethnicity. Hallelujah. Then I'm going to talk about immigration. <laughs> Gets easier, doesn't it, Pastor? I'm going to talk about immigration. Then I'm going to talk about Israel. Because America has lost its sense of the importance of Israel and its nation. Thank God for a president that moved its capital to, to Jerusalem. I'm telling you, the blessing of God is on us because of that. Then I'm going to talk about the next generation. Can we call ourselves back to God this morning? Can we call us back to God as a nation? Can we call ourselves back to God? I want to tell you this nation's going crazy. I'm, I'll tell you, I'm so fed up with the leadership of this country in some ways. I don't, I'm telling you right now, if I was in California, I'd open my church up. I'd sing all day long. That guy's a fool. The Bible calls him a fool. You know what a fool is? You know, the, you know the definition of a fool? The definition of a fool. The Bible says a fool says in his heart, there is no God. Let me tell you what the definition of that is. A fool says in his heart, no God for me. That's exactly what some of these progressives are doing. It doesn't matter if they're Democrat. I don't care. Get off of that. They're anti-Christ. It's an anti-Christ spirit. And I'm telling you, it's trying to shut churches down all over America, and it's hiding behind this pandemic. Listen, I'm all in the floor of understanding, and, and we close down for a few days in honor of what our governor asked us to do, but then it becomes overreach. Then it starts dictating what's right and what's wrong. I'm here to tell you, this church will never close again. We're not closing again. somebody's got to be praying. And if it's bad enough to shut things down, then the people of God ought to be praying and they ought to be assembling. I fell for it. I apologize. I fell for it. Jesus. Let's take the bread this morning. I read you six founding fathers of 56 signers who were professed born-again believers. Or 29 born-again believers of the 56 that signed the Declaration of Independence. There are many more. Father, we lift this bread up as a symbol of your body, which was broken for us. We thank you for the body of Jesus that sacrificed. We thank you for our forefathers who died on battlefields that we could be free today. Blood was shed. Blood was shed. In all the wars of our nation, blood was shed that we'd be free here today. There are men that are sitting here today that fought in the middle of battles that we would be free today. And we're going to celebrate America and celebrate who Christ is. We lift up this bread as a symbol of your body, which was broken for us, that took on the sin nature of man. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Must be born again. But you took on our sin nature in your body and died on the cross. Took, took our stripes that we might be healed. Let's break the bread and partake the bread. lift up the cup. Lord, this cup is a representation of your blood. 
Every forefather I read after today referenced your blood because it had a great impact upon their life. Lord, I take the blood of Jesus and I'm thankful for it. And as this cup represents the shed blood of Christ, we partake it today in remembrance of what the blood of Jesus has done for us. We are men free because of the blood of Jesus. We are men that are able to worship and men that are able to, to lift up the name and lift up no other name that is greater than Jesus. We lift up his name this morning and it's through the blood of Jesus and an empty tomb and the cross that we do that this morning. And as we take this cup, we do it in remembrance of you. Looking back to redig the wells of our heritage and recognize that we are a great nation founded upon the blood of Jesus. And we partake of this cup this morning. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me this morning as we get ready to dismiss? Father, we leave today honoring you and honoring America. We're a grateful people. And God, we leave full of the Holy Ghost, ready to bid the work that you have called us to do. Lord, your word said that we commit ourselves to the works of the Lord, and he shall establish our thoughts. And so, God, we commit ourselves to a great nation. We commit ourselves to preaching the gospel to a world that needs Christ. We leave today knowing that we stand on the soil of the greatest nation on the face of the earth. Thank you for your providential care and your love over this nation. Thank you for great men. Thank you for our president. Thank you for our men who serve and sacrifice in our nation's leadership. We call on revival right now to come and sweep across this nation and across your church. We leave today full of God and full of joy and full of peace. And we thank you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Praise God. Give the Lord a clap offering. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.